We're slovenly, we're feelingy, we're really kinda dumb. We're Terry, Shar, and Lissa, all here to have some fun. So guard your holes, let's make some rolls, and talk some D&D with the Cave Trolls. Hello and welcome to the Cave Trolls Podcast. My name is Terry Smith. With me, as always, is one half of the Slovenly Trolls, Sharday. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Look at that. Yeah. The other half of the Slovenly Trolls, are you also doing fantastic, Lissa? I'm doing fantastic because I'm a vampire. Oh. oh, wow. Well, look at that. Uh, so can't beat that. that. Yeah, you can't beat it. And for the uninitiated, this is the Cave Trolls Podcast. This is where we get into all the TTRPG news, or sometimes just referred to as the TRPG news. Uh, so, <laughs> either way it's a tabletop and we talk about all the news that you need to know about so before we get too far into it there was a couple of stories that you probably heard about we're not going to cover everything because some things aren't actually approved and talked about by people involved and that's all i'm going to say about that um i had a couple of <laughs> twitter asks if we were going to jump into some news and we're not going to so um we'll talk about stuff when stuff needs to be talked about so first up is our bits and bobs section where we talk about all the games and supplements that are coming your way to play at your tabletop space uh, i was gonna say tabletop but sometimes people play tabletops not at tabletops and it yeah. breaks my brain a little bit um, sorry about that that's that's all me all of the online stuff is just me i run every online tabletop game you've ever heard of it's true it's, true. <laughs> it's and, yeah also, yep. I'm dumb. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like sometimes it takes a second. Like, it's, it's not the world's fault. It's my fault. So, like, I wish I could fix it, but there's only so much you can do at my advanced age. So, Terry, 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 you can't fix him. You right. can't fix him. I can't. I can't. Um, yeah. So, first up, we have Dragon Dowser. And this is a game about rearing dragons. So, raising them, you get a dragon egg. Um, it's a solar punk RPG for one player. So,. Uh, oh. Lisa, you sent this over to me. You asked that we talked about it. This didn't seem familiar to me. I don't know. If no, I don't. Um, I don't remember it either. But I love raising dragons. And I know a million people that do too. I just picked up uh, Dragon Cafe for my kids. If you've ever Ooh. heard of that little Dragon Cafe, I think is the full title. It's kind of like Stardew Valley if you had a cafe and a dragon to oh. raise. Oh, and a sick cute. grandma with cancer, which is pretty fucked up, but. Oh, <laughs> that I think it's magical was a cancer, plot that twist. Makes better. Yeah, right. That's it. same for me. I didn't know that part. Didn't pay attention and then booted up the game. They're like, your your grandma's dying, but here's a dragon egg. Maybe you could save her if you're really good at cafes. Oh God. <laughs> and I've handed this to my children. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I think you might unlock a core memory for them. I think they'll remember that. <laughs> I'm just really now fearful. And I wasn't before of like me or my wife getting sick because now mm. like they're gonna equate they're gonna be like it's like Dragon Cafe maybe we can save them. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, <laughs> like I hope hyper, not. Hyper specific fear for me. Um. Anyways, <laughs> that's not Dragon Dowser. Dragon Dowser is a single player solar punk role playing game using the Carta system by Peach Garden Games, set in the desolate war torn future, evoking Studio Ghibli's Nazca. Valley of the Wind, you play a mysterious character known as the Dowser. Your purpose is to locate abandoned dragon eggs. You're not stealing the dragon eggs. They're already abandoned. And return them to a sanctuary. If, if you succeed before your resources run dry, the hatchling you rescue will be reared to change the kingdom forever. Um, 
Yeah, so it, a classic uh, single-player RPG. You got a deck of cards that gives you the prompts that you go into. Like, hearts is for culture and people. Um, spades is for landscape and weather. Clubs is machines and warfare. Diamonds is exploration and secrets. Uh, it's pretty straightforward when it comes to it. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say other than your cards play a little bit more into how you play the game. It's not so much journaling like a lot of the other single-player RPGs that we've seen. Um, and think like a deck-building game or solitaire where like you're moving the cards around and doing things with it. So there's that. If you, if you pre-order it or, or get into the Kickstarter, you get a deck of cards with some really cool art on it. If not, you can easily play the digital version with a deck of cards. Uh, the the early backing, I think you can get into it pretty cheap, uh, like a full PDF for is that ten pounds euros? What is yeah, it? pounds. Pounds. Aha, I was right. Uh, You're right. You got it. Oh, Good job. Getting better. Ever, last time, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get the full color digital PDF, um, and you get a music track. It's like an ambient set in the background, chill <sighs> vibes. I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I, I thought about backing this and then I looked. I have 17 single player RPGs that I haven't played yet. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. so you probably need to get through at least what one, maybe two of those before well, the you push through another I one. found the one I like. I like I played the Colossus one where you're like exploring mm -hmm. like the gigantic mm -hmm. world size mm -hmm. castle. That's just the one I played. That was really fun. And I don't poop 19 times a day, so <laughs> is that your uh, is that what you player? play? It's exactly what it is. But right now it's paused because I've been playing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um, and oh, it's sure. Portable, so I can take that with me wherever you go. <laughs> imagination. You know, I never imagined people playing. I know people are playing the Zelda game a lot right now because it just came out. But I never would have imagined them playing it on the toilet. But honestly, now, now that are. it's there, I, I, I'm not surprised. and not judgy either. That makes total sense to me. Of course you would. Why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't anybody? Exactly. It's so convenient. It, it honestly best place to play it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the same reason why I eat most of my meals on the toilet, out with the old and with the oh yeah. You know? It just saves time. It's totally very convenient and very sanitary. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I learned way too much uh, and not about games here. Um, <laughs> about bowel movements. I yeah. will apologize. I I guested on uh, the character creation corner a few weeks ago uh, with uh, our friends uh, DM Rick and Ellie, and they were very very awesome, but somehow even more unhinged than we are. Uh, what? And focused. <laughs> So, like, I'm just channeling a little bit of their Chaos Goblin energy. Like, I, I had that. to rein them in on their show. Like, I had to, like, wrap like, things up. Wow. Like, hey, like, what's the character we made this week? And they are like, oh, wow, just trying to put constraints on us. I was like, well, I was just trying to, you know, install a format here. And that is not what they do. That is the opposite. So, I apologize if Amazing. I'm bringing some of that energy here. Rick, Ellie, this is your fault. Uh... We only do unhinged energy here from now on. <laughs> yeah, if we weren't formats. already bad enough. Yeah, uh, format? <laughs> don't even know her. They were attacking me online because I had asked. I was like, hey, so I only had a chance to check out one episode. Can you give me, like, a format for the show? And they're like, what are you trying to do? Like, uh, I feel so attacked right now. <laughs> You're trying to install like a plan for this so, like, i i apologize deeply <laughs> I, I didn't know this would be an issue um but bringing it back around are you too excited about dragon dowser is this going to be popping up Liz? i know you sent this to me was this a, a signal 
Uh, yeah, so they are a mutual on Twitter, and I've been following the project for a while now. And that's why I asked, have I already said this to you? Because now the Kickstarter is live, but I've been following since they started teasing it. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. I might have mentioned it offhand. You know, we mentioned so many fucking games that sometimes it's like <laughs> something that cracks, but I had never, I never clicked on the link. The link was, was not purple when I clicked on it, when I had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was excited to discover it. Are you going to play it, Lissa? Like, since you've been, like, you know, being teased by it? I, I mean, I really want to. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making any promises, but if I were to start playing one of these of a mutual, this one would be one of them. And also, like, a shout out to, um, the Dragon's Dowser team for being super into, like, using TTRPGs for education purposes as well. That's one of the things that they're supportive. Oh, hell yeah. That's so awesome. And also, I do want to take back a little bit. Like, they still use the journaling operation when it comes to this game. So if you're worried about losing that, if you're a fan of solo RPGs, that's still there. It was just, like, kind of poking out to me that you use the cards a little bit more as well. Yeah. It's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Whereas some of them I play, I'm like, I feel like I probably could just be writing right now. Like, with what I'm, yeah. <laughs> the way that I'm playing. Yeah. I get, like, one prompt, and then I'm... Um, kind of exploring my mindscape, but this one. What you uh, right? I've never had that happen to me before in my life. Not one time. <laughs> I never get carried away by anything that anyone ever tells me ever. Never, never. Nope, not um, once. Not I, one time in my life. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I don't like. I said I don't know if I'm gonna back this one right away. Charday, you gonna back this one? Probably not right away either, mostly because I still haven't, like, played a single-person RPG yet. I still just go to video games for that itch. I I love, like, the concept of so many of the ones we talked about, but none of them so far have been like, this is it. This is the first one I'm ever going to play yet. (laughs) But I I love what this one stands for and the fact that they are so for education. Like, I could see this being used in classrooms, which is awesome to, like, get, you know, critical and creative thinking skills Mm -hmm. going. So... I will support from afar, but probably not play it myself, at least not for a while yet. I have a bunch of backlog stuff that I think I have like a list somewhere of like the single player RPGs. And I'm like, once I get like my dip my toe in to this like niche little world, I'll start playing all of these games. That'll be added to that list for whenever I start dipping my toes into it. Yeah, and so much of it is like, when, it, when I think of RPGs, my biggest hurdle when it came to the solo ones is that is the time where I play multiplayer stuff. I don't play a lot of multiplayer video games. It's a once in a while Same. thing for like my friends. Yeah. So like it's just I think of it as the experience of us telling stories around the table or the virtual table. So mm-hmm. it just wasn't necessarily the first thing that popped in my mind. Um, and now they're not popping into my mind at all because I've been, you know, committing war crimes in Legend of Zelda. Yeah. And uh, making penises out of all of the different, like, uh, things that you can glue together. I've seen all those compilations. There's been a it's lot wonderful. of that. I don't do the, a lot of the penis stuff. I also don't crucify oh. the Koroks, which is another thing that pops I up saw before. that, too! <laughs> <laughs> that, I think, sent me over the edge. I'm just like, this is unhinged behavior, and I'm about it. Yeah, you hear, like, I'm not even a Zelda person, and but... You see these little Koroks, and these little, like, they're basically, like, palm fronds with eyes. Yeah. And they're just, like, hanging over a precipice, crucified, and then someone hits, like, a <laughs> button, and this Rube Goldberg machine like contraption takes them to hell and i'm like what the fuck are you doing in this game (laughs) (laughs) 
Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm like building a hoverboard. I'm playing like Treasure Planet. Like I got my my little sail. I got Love Google Dolls it. playing. I'm like, oh, this is this is wonderful. And then other people are playing like Fortunate Son. They built a helicopter and they're napalming the goblins. Um, Insanity. Yeah, it's I a heard very diverse game. <laughs> I was gonna say the one thing I've heard about Tears of the Kingdom, like from the reviews I've watched, because I don't have a Switch and I probably won't play it at least for a very very long time. However, all of the reviews I've seen is like they want you to break this game. 100%. They put so many mechanics into this game that they are encouraging you to break it. And I'm like, well, that's rad as hell. <laughs> and I can respect that as a as a DM. Like encourage players to break your game. <laughs> like if you're in TTRPGs or video games, I think that's awesome. Oh yeah. And it's it's a good time. Moving on to more digital stuff, but back to the tabletop scape. Uh Mirrorscape's open license rival to D&D's virtual tabletop wants to be the Apple of VTTs. It's launching in the beta next month. This comes from Matt Jarvis over at Dicebreaker. Upcoming virtual tabletop Mirrorscape plans to offer a polished, approachable experience for playing RPGs online that goes far beyond just Dungeons & Dragons. The virtual tabletop platform is designed with mobile as its focus, censoring on an app that allows players to track their character stats, roll dice on a digital table. The team of indie developers, including celebrity D&D fans and occasional critical role guest star Joe Manganiello as a creative director, so it's got a little bit of cachet behind it. Um, but the big thing that I could see, like, I don't want to get into a ton of uh, details for Mirror Escape because it's, it's another VTT. It's got a virtual background. You can move pieces around the board. Um, it's cool looking. It's kind of got like a tilt shift, uh, 2D HD. If you played any of the RPGs coming to the Switch, like uh, Octopath Traveler, it's kind of got a look about it like that, which is neat. But the main thing that I noticed is that it's for mobile and it seems to be running on lots of different devices. They showed phones, they showed tablets. Um, so that's cool. That's the part where I'd say, oh, this is the novel aspect of it. While a lot of <laughs> other ones also run on mobile, this one is focused on it. So that's neat, I guess. I don't know too much about it. I haven't had a chance to mess with it. I, I don't use a lot of VTTs, but just more more throwing their hat into the ring if you want to check it out. Um, there's also, like, an AR component if you, like, yeah. mess around with that. You can, like, display it onto your table so it looks like it's there. I don't know how well that works. I get annoyed by AR stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, you weren't a fan of Pokemon Go? When it was I, I in like Pokemon Go, in but, like, if this puts it in perspective, I turn off the AR part. That's true. I also did, but mostly because it was hell on my battery. 100%. 100%. Honestly, <laughs> that's where I'm thinking about with this, where I'm like, oh, it's cool that it runs on mobile. How well will it run on mobile? At that point, yeah. if I'm like playing it on my phone, like, why? You know, I guess like second screen mm. experience, if you're all sitting there, you can't all sit at the same t like tablet. But at that point, I, I guess the main thing would be like if you can't afford miniatures or if you want fancier looking stuff. I could see a use case for it. I just don't see it at my table. Uh, but let us know if yeah. you're excited about Mirrorscape. Lissa, what about you? You into it? Um, I'm not big VTT fan mm -hmm. either. So, I mean, like it looks really cool and I feel like if this blows up and I mean there's they keep saying that VTTs are like the future of D&D. &D. I look forward to trying them out and I want to see where all of this goes, but I don't know necessarily cuz I I haven't played that much with VTTs to be able to say, "Oh, you know, a good VTT has this, it has this, it has" cuz I've still been kind of playing with I, I don't do, like, paper and pen anymore because all of my notes and character sheets are um, digital now. Sure. But I still roll, like, 
physical dice. I still have, in theory, a, a paper and pen, <laughs> except it's my laptop and like a PDF. But so I'm like slowly transitioning into the digital world, but I'm not at the VTT level yet. When you finally start using something like Roll20, we're all going to be onto the AR headsets and like, you know, displaying <laughs> our characters is... in real time. Listen, I have used Roll20 and it was a hellscape. <laughs> Like it was. This not was a good. number of years ago. This was a number. It of was years. Year, ago. It was yeah. It was like man, early 2018 is when we tried because our DM was um they went overseas for a couple of months, mm -hmm. so they were digital and we were well no two of our players were digital and then Lisa and I were together so we were all using Roll Twenty with our cameras and it was like super glitchy. Our DM already isn't technologically savvy, so um. Having them rule over everything was also a nightmare. It was, man, I would love to try out a VTT as well at some point. But uh, after that Roll20 experience, I am so <laughs> hesitant. And also, I probably wouldn't start with a VTT that is trying to advertise itself as the Apple of VTTs because I have a personal vendetta against Apple. So um, me, that's a personal like thing. <laughs> yeah the expensive one the one that's going to make you buy all of these different like oh if you want a, the maximum vtt experience you have to buy this specific power cable this specific tablet <laughs> this specific like you have to be part of the ecosystem you know and god that drives me absolutely insane but that's a very personal thing if anybody likes apple and how they run their business Totally probably up your alley. Just right. definitely not up mine. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't know necessarily who that buzzword's for when it comes to, like, D&D players. But, like, I've done a little bit with Virtual Tabletop. Back in the day when I was first playing, I had started with 4th edition before we moved to 3.5. And because that was such a wargaming-centric system and we didn't have minifigs, we were using, mm -hmm. like, kind of, like, a really early version of something like Roll20. Um, and I think it might have been run in Excel. I can't exactly remember. Um, but the way that it worked, um, was really convenient for having a 10 player party, which is what we had. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. But we still had like our, our GM was moving us around the board. Like they did all yeah. the tricks and stuff. So like, again, not being technically savvy is already a big hurdle, but also the reason why I like the theater of the mind is when it comes to prep, I don't worry about my miniatures being set up and do I have the right diorama? I can yeah. just say, oh, you go left, there's a dragon there, and I can kind of improv a little bit more yeah. and not feel let down. Because if you guys run into something really cool that I didn't have prepped, I can still flourish it just as much as I would the stuff that is prepped. But if we were playing with miniatures or on a virtual tabletop, if you go a way that I wasn't prepared for, it is just by default not going to be as cool. Yeah, you. in order – that's just the <sighs> – I wouldn't say that's one of the downfalls, but that's just part of being like a DM GM is if you do rely on, even if it's not a VTT, but at a table, if you have prepped a map for a very specific area that your players are going to go to and you are like 100% convinced they're going to go here, they're going to find this map, I've spent hours making it, it's wonderful. And then they go to the left instead of going to the right when you were pretty convinced they were going to go to the right and then you just never use that map for that session you might be able to recycle it later you might be able to move some stuff around but sometimes you just physically cannot and that <laughs> that sucks <laughs> well with your credit that sucks oh man <laughs> 
Well, speaking of, uh, this comes from Dicebreaker as well, Chase Carter over there. Pathfinder Nexus open beta brings the RPG that much closer to digital D&D parody. Uh, free accounts can create and save up to seven discrete characters. A new suite of digital tools from tabletop platform Demiplane wants to make the lives of online-only Pathfinder players a little bit easier. Pathfinder Nexus just launched an open beta allowing anyone to take advantage of character creation tools in a robust rules compendium. This, to me, less VTT and more um, uh, D&D Beyond uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to creating your characters, storing them all for your party, uh, having the rules right there so you can click, hey, I have this skill, what does it actually do? Um, and kind of link together there. It supports 22 distinct classes, all the associated backgrounds, traits, and other options. Um, it uh, creates an account-bound sheet at the end and can be shared with other players. So, like, if you have your GM, they can store all of them, which is what we do for some of our campaigns with uh, D&D Beyond. We have, like, the one player who is still mm-hmm. using it, and they kind of store stuff. So when we have the inevitable, oh, I don't remember my sheet, or I, I didn't level up, we just print it out, and we can upgrade it from there. Inevitable. It's <sighs> never me. I'm the best player It's never you. It, it never is, because, and also, I'm because you GM'd, when you forget, you just don't tell me, and you level up <laughs> right, right there to screen. No, I li- that literally has happened before. <laughs> I've, I've 100%, or I've, like, almost fully leveled up, but I forgot to roll my hit dice, because that's always the last thing I usually do. Sure. Or the first thing, but when it is the last thing, I forget. And then I'll just like very subtly at the table be like, D8, oop, do some math. Hey, Char, what are you doing? Nothing. Like, I was like, we'll go right. for a short rest and I'll see it takes you just a little bit longer to probably, I'm like, oh yeah, there was, there was a blank what? on that sheet. That's what happened. It's fine. Also, no, it's I'm a war, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a warlock, you know, I need the short rests. Do I prep spells? No, but you don't need to know that. <laughs> But also, you like, know. like that's me. That's not complaining because everybody else at the table is worse about it. So that's you. <laughs> like, I don't mind when you do that. I'm like, oh, I also know you'll take care of it. I don't have to do anything. So, uh, so yeah. So that's uh, that's Demi Plane's new thing going on. Uh, if you're excited about that, having a little bit more of a D and D Beyond parody is not a terrible mm-hmm. thing. I know people love Pathfinder, so it's exciting for them to have that if they're going to use it. I know a lot of third party ones already. But I don't think they're as robust as what Demi Plane's trying to pull off there. So for Nexus, mm-hmm. it also sounds official. So <laughs> yeah, uh, nice. So moving on to some D and D news: five new D and D books in 2023 will go back to Fandelver and discuss the origins of the notorious deck of cards. All books will be published under the previously announced higher price tag. So we'll talk about the price tag thing here in a minute. Don't worry too much about that. This comes from Chase Carter over at Dicebreaker. All these new books. Uh, did either one of you get a chance to kind of check this out? No, um, what the hell is Fandelver? <laughs> no, well, what is Lost this? Minds of Fandelver. It's a pretty famous uh, campaign. Uh, Rip. Dude, never heard edition, of it. But Fandelver's oh, okay. always been a setting. But it was one of the first um, little adventures that they published in 5th edition. Oh, okay. That probably explains why. Yeah, I yeah. have no idea what it is because I came to 5th edition a little bit later. A little bit later on. Yeah, so you might have might have yeah. missed the window on that being popular. But, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. they got a bunch of new books. So Bigby Presents, The Glory of Giants, The Practically Complete Guide to Dragons, Fandelver and Below, The Shattered Obelisk, Planescape, Adventures in the Multiverse, and The Deck of Many Things. Uh, so it's ex- all of them are exactly what they sound like. I'm not going to get into the huge details for all of them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's exciting that they're, they're publishing a bunch more for people who are still buying things from wizards. I assume, um, I'm not going to be purchasing any of these, 
Uh, but it is exciting. They're still putting out stuff. It's good for them. Uh, the first book, I think, rolls out August 15th. So pretty soon uh, they'll be coming. Yeah. Um, I think both of the books. So Practically Complete Guide to Dragons, as well as uh, Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants, both come out in August. And then Fandelver comes out in September. Uh, the Planescape book comes out in October. And The Deck of Many Things is November. So they, that's kind of like their plan for the next few months. They have like their whole uh, roadmap ready to go. You, so you have some adventures uh, with like Fandelver. You have kind of a bestiary expansion book, kind of like we were talking about, like the targeted books with the Practical mm-hmm. Complete Guide to Dragons. That's going to be exciting for people. Uh, and then you have some of the setting stuff with Planescape and the Deck of Many Things uh, getting a, a new re-release with 22 cards in it. That's exciting if you're doing it. And then um, they're going to be able to do like another 44 cards to kind of customize it. That that sounds rad as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, that sounds right up my alley. Lissa, you didn't hear that. You did not hear any of what I just said. <laughs> I have proof once this comes out that something happened. There's so many like, uh, like third party or just like free indie copies of the deck of many things that people have made over the years. I have several. I don't have any hard copies, and I don't have any official ones. So that's, No, that's I exciting. don't. I think I'm way more, like, yeah, you could totally pick up, like, there, I've had, like, bookmarked, like, some Etsy versions of Deck uh-huh, of Many Things yeah. for whenever I can DM in person again, because really they're just the coolest prop, and then you, like, bring out this deck of cards that most people at your table might know, or, like, at least one person at your table would know to get that, like, prop reaction. But, like, I'm super interested in 44 cards that will let people customize the deck of many things just in case they've played with it before. And they're like, oh, I know exactly what's in this deck. (laughs) You thought. You thought you knew what was in this deck, which is really cool to keep it fresh for people who have played with the deck of many things before. That's cool as hell. Exactly. If I was going to buy any of these, it would be the deck deck of many things and then the practically complete guide to dragons. That's another thing that would be Mm -hmm. um, really interesting. The the Big B's Giant book is also probably on my list, but again, I'm just not. I'm gonna kind of sit and wait and see what they do with these yeah. books. Uh, that's where I'm at when it comes to purchasing things from Wizards right now. So while I'm excited and these are some books that I would be interested in, it's just not where I want to put my money at the moment. But they might bring me around mm-hmm. if these are all published and they're great. Um, we're gonna get into a story later on that's gonna make me think twice about it either way. <laughs> um, so that's where I'm at with it. Lisa, what about you? Any of these uh, piquing your interest? I mean, the customization really sounds interesting because I I know for a fact that um we did get a card deck presented to us, oh. which we were in our in my first campaign ever i had no idea what it was but based on the reactions of the other two players who were terrified (laughs) to take any cards from it we ended up like not touching them at all well i think one or did one person pick up one of them or something but yeah one player that was not lissa or i because this is the game we both play and this is not the one i dm like I was one of the people freaking out and losing my shit. <laughs> I and I did not touch the deck. I'm like I like my character too much to be transported into another plane of existence. Thank you. <laughs> like no, thank you. Like it like, was very metagamey. I understand that, but I'm like I don't. I don't care in this moment. I don't. I I'm. I have such bad luck. If I have bad. If I'm having a bad luck day, I'm having a bad luck day. And I think that was probably one of those days. I'm like nope, not taking any of my chances. Not being a chaos gremlin today. 
Like, I kind of wish that I didn't know that it would terrifyingly do something <laughs> dramatic because I wanted to find out what it was, but um, that never happened because, you know, caught on to that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the chaos of what, was always yeah. fun. Uh, I, I always love, like, the diegetic being able to, like, oh, hand the card and the card does the thing in game. Um, notoriously in our, like, gaming space, I run a Digimon RPG, and the Digimon card game is canon, uh, to the game, so, like, we play cards at the table, and one, recently, uh, my buddy Dave brought up, why don't we have Magic the Gathering as canon to our D&D, like, our Forgotten Realms space, because they've crossed over, and I was like, it can be, I don't really play Magic the Gathering anymore, but if you wanted to go find a card tournament, bam, it's, it's there, and we make it kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's like, oh, you can duel, and, because the, <laughs> the canon of MTG is like, you play as a planeswalker, which is like a really strong sorcerer who summons creatures to fight at their bidding, right? So, uh... that very easy to make canon to your game if you're looking for some cards or, or like a more diegetic game at your table. So, I was like, oh yeah, sure, that's canon, but nobody at my table right now plays MTG, so it was a really good idea that is useless for us. <laughs> Yeah, if if I did play MTG, that'd be great. The only in-game card game that I would have any idea how to play is Gwent because yeah. I went through a very big Gwent phase, and Lissa can attest to this. <laughs> well, buying the Gwent yes. cards is so expensive. Yeah. Um, but I would consider it if you wanted to play a Witcher game. Uh, the, the Witcher mm -hmm. RPG is very, very fun to play. It's in the same system as uh, um, the Dragon Age uh, RPG. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I really, really dig that system. So if that's something you're interested in, let's go hog wild. Let's get some Gwent going. And uh, <laughs> I need to, I don't even know if I remember how to play at this point. It's been a hot minute. We've but like, I'm honestly, open to I it. would do it just like you do in every other RPG that also has a card game inside of it, which is you can talk to anybody or you could play <laughs> the card game. Or like, oh, hey, I noticed that uh, that deck of cards in your pocket. You want to play? <laughs> 100%. I would love to do that uh moving on tales of the valiant uh reimagines 5e roleplay with cooler spellcasting and less burden on gms cobalt press's project black flag sets sail as a fully fledged rpg rule set uh we've talked about it a lot on here this comes from chase carter over at dicebreaker one of the larger projects to rise in the wake of dungeons and dragons open gaming license fiasco has now launched a crowdfunding campaign for its own set of fifth edition compatible source books Tales of the Valiant will be two books, attempt to streamline the rules, classes, and roleplay of the most popular tabletop RPG of all time. Uh, we've talked about Project Black Flag, we've talked about Tales of the Valiant. This is just kind of announcing, hey, you can check it out on Kickstarter now. It's, it's ready to go. Uh, you can go back it if you want. Uh, just as a note, it had a $100,000 goal. It reached that uh, almost immediately, and it's at $600,000. 222,000, wow. uh, $622,000, uh, yeah, with one day into the campaign, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Yep, about 5,000 backers. Um, I did not back this, uh, we've talked about it, another 5th fifth, fifth edition system is not something that I need right this moment, they have everything they need, uh, I'm excited to see what people do with this, uh, I was kind of excited that they were trying to streamline a little bit more from when they were showing their playtest stuff um they've they've taken some of the feedback and leaned into the things that people liked which was kind of flourishes with the spell casting as well as like the streamlining of the rules and they're pulling that off 
according to some people that have been able to check it out. So that's that's interesting. If you need to separate yourself from the fifth edition uh, wave that has come through, those are two good things, I think, to, to lean into. So I'm excited about that. Uh, what do you two think of Tales of the Valley? I am curious what it means by less burden on GMs and cooler spellcasting, but it just seems like right now it's just... Uh, I might need to like look deeper into what they mean by that, like go to the actual Kickstarter page, because like they have my attention with that, um, with that title for this specific article. But I'm intrigued what they mean by it. But I think I'm in the same vein as you, Terry, because mm -hmm. I already play, I already run a fifth edition game, so I I'm not really looking for a replacement system currently but i mean i'm never opposed to it for like a future campaign or something so it's something i'll keep my eye on and maybe steal some mechanics from <laughs> but other than that <laughs> i'm i already have like the stuff that i i'm running on a consistent basis and this seems pretty similar but very like like a s it's streamlined even maybe but D 5e is already pretty streamlined so i don't know i need to look into like the actual specific claims that they are making for it to understand like what is so different about this system specifically. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. So um, a lot more character options, which is a thing that's pretty uh, part of the course. If you check out anything in Cobalt Press, their whole idea is adding to fifth edition, right? With all of their other books. Yeah. So mm. the, the making spellcasting cooler is just options. That's, that I don't think needs explanation. I am curious to see what it does to streamline the GM stuff as well. Um, I haven't seen anything about that. And even the people that have gone hands-on before, I haven't seen mention of the specifics on that one. Yeah, I don't know if it's just purely uh, making it a little bit easier for your players to know what their options are when it comes to level up or what your options are in gameplay. But I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see it. Uh, if you are also interested, you can get in, uh, part of backing the Kickstarter is you get into some of this playtest stuff. So you are backing a beta a little bit, it seems. So, like, you're going to get the final product as well, but you're also getting into the early beta testing of it, which is very Steam Greenlight, if you've checked out any of that, or early access, um, I think is what it's called now. I'm not a fan of that. I don't have the disposable income to jump in on things that aren't finished yet. That's just a kind mm -hmm. of a rule of mine. But just know what you're getting into if you check that out. That being said, I think this has tons of money and support, so I don't think you're going to get skimped out on and you don't get your product or anything like that. Uh, I just think that this this kind of signals that it was ready to go. I think they have a little bit more ways to go. I don't think you're going to be getting this book next week. Mm -hmm. so, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. It's interesting that um, they have partnered with other companies for Adventures Dice and Digital Support, which include the Vineyard, which we talked about, mm -hmm. the Vineyard RPG, and also Kaboa, which I've seen on Twitter right. somewhere. So, you know, they are working with other people, and it's, but I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page as Sharday, sort of like, not sure what this is, <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah, and like, so like, they're saying like the full text isn't going to be available until April 2024. But they have an alpha release for the summer, um, and that's where you're going to be kind of testing it out. Uh, so the thing that worries me a little bit is they already have all these partnerships. Difficult to steer the ship when you keep attaching things to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you have to pivot because someone doesn't like something or it doesn't work compatibility-wise, that might be difficult. However, 
they're already building on the foundation of fifth edition they're not trying to do something completely new so i think if anything it would be changing wording of things rather than mm-hmm. creating new mechanics so that might make it easier but yeah i just mm-hmm. i wanted to throw out that caveat i'm not saying don't back it just know that this isn't imminent um when it comes to the yeah. release and what you're getting um but also that could be a good that could be a positive right you could have a say in shaping this kickstarter which is neat you don't see mm-hmm. that a lot well usually if you're able to get to the kickstarter phase uh stuff's pretty locked in you know yeah uh so that's exciting uh i'm glad that project black flag has finally reared its head and is going forward it was such a big part of that story with the ogl um, mm-hmm. I'm glad to see it finally come to fruition. I was a little bit scared during a lot of that, that some of it was going to be vaporware and I'm just kind of happy that it didn't end up being that way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on. I'm super duper excited about this next one. I know you two haven't really played too much blades in the dark or forged in the dark systems. Great system. Really excited about it. This one is sailor moon meets blades in the dark a magical girl RPG girl by moonlight. In the name of the moon, I will punish your dice, says Matt Jarvis over at Dicebreaker. Uh, a new tabletop RPG will combine the sparkling friendship and heroism of Magical Girl ser- series like Sailor Moon. Or um, if you're into other cool ones, you have like Glitter Force, which I watch with my daughter all the time. I love checking that one out. Um, there's a couple of other more adult-oriented ones. Not, uh, not, <laughs> not terrible porn adult, just adult-oriented with a little bit more updated storytelling so don't sleep on the magical girl genre is all i'm saying uh (laughs) it's going to be a grittier world with themes of crime you know as is uh want to do with the rpg blades in the dark girl by moonlight comes from blades in the dark publisher evil hat productions and sees designer andrew gillis build on john harper's forge in the dark system using both blades and various other games uh scum and villainy um, and Band of Blades, if you've checked out any of those. They're all really good. The system does a really good job of combining the personal with the faction-type gameplay, so you can kind of run a team or run a crew doing crimes around an entire city, and the city can evolve, and you still have your character sheet, you can play your character. Um, it's a really good one-shot system if like, you want to run something and you don't quite know the system you want, but you want to be able to have that bird's-eye view. I recommend many Blades in the Dark games. So I'm just super duper excited about it. It uses a, a six-sided dice pool system. Not much more needs to be said about Forged in the Dark games, but the Sailor Moon aspect, the magical girl, um, really, really has me excited. Uh, there's a couple of magical girl games that kind of build on the, what if this was a little bit grittier uh, than Sailor Moon? So it's not all just friendship and, and magic. It's also friendship and magic. And what if we die sometimes? And it's really cool to see that pop up into a D&D. You guys got really quiet when I started talking about this. Is that because you're excited? Or is that because you don't relate to any of the things that I'm saying? <laughs> well, it's because it's I, I got quiet because I'm like, I you're right. I don't play Blades in the Dark. <laughs> like, I don't. I love the aesthetic of this, though. So I was basically just listening at listening to the pitch of it. Because <laughs> I love I, Sailor Moon. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, then we might need to play this because I was I I already have uh, kind of a, a one shot ready to go for a magical girl setting, and <gasps> um, I, I I can't announce it yet, but I'm publishing the magical girl comic book soon. Um, so like it's already been an interest of me, and I play a lot of Sailor Moon stuff with my daughter, so I've been really excited about it. So we can definitely check this out. Um, this entire setting, if you're familiar with any 
other anime other than Sailor Moon, like uh, Magi Madoka, um, which is more of like a serious uh, bent. Not, I wouldn't say gritty, but just like more serious uh, magical girl idea, which is like they, they get one single wish. They can grant a wish, whatever they want. They go to this magical cat bean. It'll grant their wish. And the cost is they have to become a magical girl and defeat the monsters. Um, and that goes to some really, really dark places. So I recommend that if you're looking for a Sailor Moon, but a little bit updated because you're not, you know, 15 anymore or whenever you watch Sailor Moon, uh, showing my age there. So, uh, <laughs> um, it definitely has those vibes. I'm loving all of the artwork here. They have the different classes, you know, you have your heavy hitter. They have kind of a tuxedo mask type vibe. If you want to play, uh, something like that, or Zoro might be a better, better pull. But if you like Sailor Moon, uh, <laughs> tuxedo mask is definitely the reference I would make, even though he's absolutely mm -hmm. useless in that show. Totally useless. Just shows up, throws a rose. He's like, my job is done. And then there's that meme of, you didn't even do anything. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> uh, not having seen it since I was much younger, watching it again with my daughter and Sailor Moon Crystal, and, and my, my wife really likes Sailor Moon, just asking them questions about it and just remembering how unhinged that show is. It's so unhinged. <laughs> this is my daughter from the future, uh, but she's in love with her father for some reason. She's in love with her father. <laughs> Oh, God, I, wa awesome I remember watching Sailor Moon Crystal when it first came out, and I don't like it as much as I like the original because it just rushes through so much of the story to get to, like, the, like, juiciest parts of the original show. And I'm like, no, but I... But I like the lead up. Like you rush through all of the like friendship building, and I want I want to see that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of a mainstay when it comes to those. Obviously, you get the the henshin transformation sequences are really cool. But uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Magi Madoka, but there's also like Steven Universe is a really good example. They mentioned that in the article as well. Oh, they mentioned uh, Magi Madoka too. Uh, that I recommend all of these things that we're talking about, but they're pulling from more than just Sailor Moon. And it's such a deep genre, which is really neat, that there's a lot that you can pull from that makes it a lot of fun. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to see – this is one of the first games in the um, uh, Blades in the Dark system, the Forge in the Dark uh, gameplay, that is doing something so widely different. Um, Scum and Villainy was the last one, I think, that kind of changed it up because a lot of them are still strictly fantasy. Uh, they go a little bit more um, – uh, steampunk or gas uh punk like the the, the gotham mm -hmm. by gaslight type vibes with a little bit of magic um so scum and villainy was like their space opera one but it's still focused on crime and and you know kind of pulling the strings of this little city uh so getting into just magical girls whole hog is a really exciting departure and to see it be officially done this isn't uh, somebody else with a license which is fine but seeing that evil hat Productions is going to put that love behind it i'm just so excited about this because i play a lot of other rpgs that you know try to fill different vibes and they don't always hit there were a lot of different games before um the official power rangers rpg that were like hey yeah look you can be a power ranger kind of um, <laughs> so seeing this with this love behind it i'm really really excited about uh Lissa, yeah. are you gonna check out uh this game at all uh, girls uh girl by moonlight I think it sounds really interesting, and I like the fact that they include the fact that the definition for a magical girl is not just gender specific, Fuck and yeah. it's like yeah. a genre to create 
an allegory for self-discovery and queer identity, which is awesome. Hell yeah. So, yeah I, I love it, it so much. I think it's really inclusive and really awesome, and it looks really promising. So, yeah, I, I would be really into playing and trying this out. I, I know for a fact that, like, a lot of my girlfriends were into Sailor Moon. I, myself, never watched it at all. That, that's okay. There, and there's lots of other ones. It, it is interesting, like, seeing, like, there is kind of, like, this weird pocket niche of people that watch Sailor Moon in the 90s, no matter where you're from. And if you didn't, you just, like, don't, you just don't see it at all, right? But it was so pervasive for a moment. But it also had a lot of firsts, at least for me and a lot of my friends with, like, first queer representation that we saw uh and a lot of things like that even though they definitely um watered it down in america specifically i think they made a lot of the queer characters cousins which is more fun yeah they made like the two lesbian characters cousins because of censorship (laughs) right which is just so ridiculous interesting yeah Yeah, they don't downplay like their affection for each other at all they don't it just seems weird because they're cousins so you like look at these like two women who are very obviously like have all this romantic body language and they refer to each other as cousin oh my god it's arguably worse like to do that to young kids i mean obviously showing anybody two lesbian characters is not a bad thing but if they wanted to go by their standards yeah if we're going by their awful standards this isn't great either like what are you doing but I, I'm just super excited about it. Like, having an alternative to something like uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, um, because while that game is awesome, you know I don't like Powered by the Apocalypse. So a lot of the really mm-hmm. cool things that they put in that game I'm going to be able to see in this game, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like like you mentioned that so much of it is it's, Magical Girl is a genre. It's, it's uh, a category. That doesn't mean that you have to play an out-and-out girl. Uh, is the only option. One of the things that became a trope in later on Magical Girl series is the very masculine characters, some sometimes still identifying as male as well, um, still getting the cool, awesome, you know, sailor skirt outfit and uh, not, like, discriminating, like, oh, he looks like a Power Ranger because he's a dude. He still gets the awesome outfit. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that my daughter loves is, in our game, I, have, I look like, if you've ever seen Full Metal Alchemist Armstrong, uh, with his really big curly mustache, but I still have the most badass Sailor Scout skirt that could be created uh, with my poor drawing skills. So I'm just excited that they're not they're not leaning into anything that would make it less accessible, uh, which is a fear sometimes when you're like, oh, well, we need a lot of people to play this game. How do we water down its inclusivity? Which sucks that it's always an option, but you know, you have a big corporate company. Sometimes that's what they go for. No, I was I was muted. Sorry, my dog was barking. But yes, I agree. (laughs) I just didn't want my dog to be picked up. Like, sorry. I was was listening, and I agree. They're not they're they're not into the inclusivity. They don't they don't want me to be able to wear a skirt. (laughs) Yes, us, the slovenly trolls. We hate inclusivity. We hate anything having to do with that. Yes, you heard it here. I don't think it's a matter of bigotry. You just don't like skirts. I think is what. I mean, yes, that is true. If I'm wearing um, a skirt-like thing, it is a full-on dress. That is true. I don't <laughs> like skirts. But, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's man. either here nor there. 
Uh, moving on, uh, let's go to the next stories, which are no longer in our Bits and Bobs section. This is our Village Crier section. This is where we go into the town square and yell about all the stuff that doesn't basically fit into any of our other sections. So, first up, the biggest changes coming to D&D's core rulebooks overhaul. This comes from IGN. IGN had some really good D&D coverage over the week, um, because similar to Dicebreaker, uh, Wizards invited a lot of reporters out going, hey, we haven't been very vocal about stuff, and we're mm-hmm. going to put this out as blog posts, which they did. But they also invited a lot of people to come check out these new books and give a few juicy quotes. And so one of the things that they were talking about is um, the changes to the books. We don't need to go over everything. We've talked about a little bit of it. But uh, specifically, they were talking about how the player's handbook will now teach you how to play D&D, which I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it didn't before. <laughs> No. Uh, like, almost at all. It had the small section on how to roll and add in your stats, but it really wasn't a comprehensive how-to. It's going to do that now. Um, they're going to do more subclasses, more evenly distributed amongst the different classes. Um, if you played something like a rogue, notoriously you had way more subclasses than something like the ranger. Um, uh, an overhaul to backgrounds in species, which is a thing that we've talked about a lot on mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, they're calling it the character origin section. They're still going with species. Uh, that's still what's happening. I know we've talked about how they're not sure that that was the word they're going for. It sure seems like they're doubling down on that one right now. Right now, um, yeah. Yeah. A bigger focus on social encounters, which is really cool. A lot more rules when it comes to role play. And not like rules as in like this is more strict, but rules as in here are more options for the people who aren't just comfortable rolling one dice for charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of exciting, uh, as well as like the I also, benefits. Go ahead. I was going to say, I also had something to say about that because I skimmed this article a little bit this morning, and I am so excited that they are um, like expanding the out of combat stuff for uh, classes that don't thrive on that because I play a fighter now, and using abilities that, of a fighter outside of combat is rough. <laughs> like, I have not a lot. I'm really, really good at killing things, as Lissa can attest. I can do a shit ton of damage very, very quickly. However, (laughs) outside of combat and even like rolling for stuff, even if you put your um, like your uh, proficiency bonus and your proficient and stuff and stuff outside of combat, you're really not that great outside of combat. And it is in a campaign that you don't play combat a lot and it's kind of debilitating in some ways. Like you can move around it. I play a subclass that has a couple things you can use outside of combat, but I'm really excited to see. And I just wanted to give them like this praise for this, that they know that's a problem and they are going to address it. And I'm very, as somebody who currently plays a fighter, thank you. I struggle with that. As like it's you're not good out of the combat, but like people exist in different ways. They do different things out of combat. Yeah, you have things to do whether you're good or bad at them. If you're not playing like a charisma centered character, yeah, like if you're if you're a fighter who I my fighter has a negative one charisma, shocking everyone. (laughs) I wanted to play a low charisma character and. While I do enjoy it and it gives me different strengths in different areas and I really do enjoy that, it is a hindrance sometimes when I'm trying to roll a persuasion check because I just want to like get some information and I like I think I make a pretty good case like role playing wise. I'm like, yeah, I A, B, C, D, E, F, G. These are the things. But, um, you know, the DM has your roll a charisma check and you roll a five, even though you made really good points that mm, you still don't, you know, do it because you don't 
have the ability to do that very well, which is unfortunate. So I'm glad that they're adding not only more rules for social encounters, so maybe you don't need to roll as much for that, or there are different roles you could make for stuff like that for non-charisma-based characters that is exciting to see yeah, as somebody like, who has recently run into that a lot. 100%. And, like, specifically, like they've talked about, like, rage does things outside of combat, which it would, right? And I think that that's Yeah, of course. Example, including with your fighters, like, oh, persuasion check. Well, sometimes you could use persuasion uh, outside of, like, oh, I said the right thing that unlocks the door, right? Like, no, like, sometimes, like, you threaten somebody or you use some sort of intimidation, yeah. you know, you use flex it. and your, your bicep is bigger than my head. I'll give you the information, you know? Yeah, or, like, use intimidation as a strength-based check and not as a charisma-based check. Right. Yeah, and, like, having that versatility and that maybe also, I don't think they ever talked about this, but I think it'd be interesting if they do like either condense or maybe diversify the different types of checks you can make for specific things and giving especially new GMs the option. Cause if you're a seasoned GM, I know you and I both do this, Terry, you can like give people the option. Oh, you can make this check or this check and your result will vary or you pick what check you want to do. And then I will make it work for you. But some GMs, especially new ones don't, like have the tool set to do that yet which is totally fair they're just playing out of the book so teaching new gms how to do that and giving them the tools to do that so that social encounters maybe even have the same weight in certain campaigns as combat encounters i just i wanted to like have a little caveat and praise them for that because that is that's something that i have like pointed out recently in my own play and i'm excited that they are addressing it and they understand. <laughs> I feel seen. Yeah, and like that, that leads into the next section, of like the more focused dungeon master's guide, which we've talked about on here. Like they're they're talking about things like including sections on improv and like how to find what you're looking for on the GM screen. And mm -hmm. here are rules that you can change if you don't like it. Like not just oh, if you don't like this rule, don't use it. Like hey, here's some options for this rule. Yeah. Um, is they're going into it, and then the big thing that they're focusing on is how to write an adventure. So, uh, like, specifically, like, here's here's some story structure. Not just, hey, here's beginning, middle, and end, but, like, here's what you do with D&D &D with story structure. Because if you're a writer, you might be able to understand, here's how you tell a good narrative. That's not the same thing as telling a good narrative with your friends making fucked up choices, right? Yep. So, like, having a section on that is cool. Um, more mechanic-based stuff, they're adding bastions, which are, like, a section for building bases. Uh, both for your players and for enemies, cool. which is always really important. Everybody, every good adventuring party needs a castle, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. kind of adding in that, um, like the, the strongholds and followers expansions, the thing that they reference here uh, from like third party from Matt Colville. So like them actually putting that into the base game is really important. And I'm excited to see that. And then finally, um, the big giant expanded monster manual with uh, monsters going uh, past 20 plus CR. Um, so you can fight big bad guys and we have more things for you to discover. It's all neat stuff. Um, I I still don't like that they're always staggering this. Like they're like book one comes out, like you get the player's handbook and then another month you get the dungeon master's guide and then another month you get the monster manual i know why they do it they're a company that's how you make money that's how you don't gouge people's wallets but mm -hmm. so often i'm like ah, i want to run this game but it'll be useless until i can get this monster manual stat right? yeah not so much these days I but back in the day you know 
Yeah, it'll be useless. Like it, if you hearken back to like the two E days where they had the monsters compendium, it was just one big monster manual, and they sold like little supplements mm-hmm. to like uh to grow your monster manual so it was just one big binder i think by the end was the intention of it yes which i I think they've moved away from since then and but hopefully they will at least have like because the original monster manual like is great but it's so lacking like it, it, it covers all the bases of like here are your undead here are your ghosts here are your dragons but like all of the super unique characters other than maybe like a beholder or like a mimic you have to like purchase another monster manual or volos or what have you in order to get them, which is unfortunate and expensive. They really frown upon you uh, clipping out your pages and putting it in a binder, unlike when we were kids and playing D anD D. And that specifically, I would feel bad about it because of our next story. Uh, also comes from Dicebreaker. Uh, Chase Carter wrote this over there. I also read a similar article at like 15 other websites, so I'll be kind of combining them. Mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons increases price of printed books despite continuous financial success. <laughs> oh, man. So if you thought they were already kind of expensive and prohibitive and maybe they should do a mea culpa to the audience and the supporters of their game, think again. Uh, nope. Once again, they're stepping in that players will soon need to cough up a bit more money to secure physical editions of Dungeons dragon source books roughly 20 percent more publisher wizard of the coast pointed the blame finger at rising costs of producing and shipping goods but failed to mention the consistently profitable state of the tabletop rpg (laughs) now real quick um uh, as somebody who sells physical copies of books i'm seeing this right now amazon did the same thing they said hey normally what we do for kdp which is kindle publishing if you want to do your print book it's kind of print on demand it's uh like drop shipping right your book gets printed when they buy it, so you don't have to pay anything up front. You don't have to try to guess how many books are going to be printed. It's a really convenient thing for a small publisher. Um, that's what I do for all of my physical releases. However, recently they were like, hey, we're going to take even more money from it. So unless you're charging mm-hmm. $10 uh, on top, um, you're going to see no profit from printing your book for this way. So there's really no reason to do print on demand anymore. Um so everyone's doing this because they're like, oh, it costs so much money to print this book, even though we're seeing record uh, sales on everything. So they don't really – I want you to know. Like, it makes sense that they could raise it, but they don't need to. Um, mm-hmm. Not that that needed to be said, but I wanted to say it. Um, a post to the D&D Beyond community blog on May 23rd characterized the news as not particularly fun – saying that with the cost of goods and shipping continually increasing, we finally had to make the hard decision. Oh, they didn't say hard. They just said make the decision to increase the price of our new release print books. We're committed to creating high-quality products that deliver great value to our players and must increase our prices to accomplish that. So D&D standard source books have maintained a uh, steady suggested retail price um, of $59.95 since 5th edition's release in 2014. Getting with the upcoming Big B Presents, Glory of the Giants, rolling out in August, that price will increase to $69.95. Um, but it will not affect the currently available pre-order bundle on the official D&D store. So they're raising it a whole 10 bucks to video game prices, just trying to match. You know, <laughs> uh, the, My D&D book definitely costs as much as Ubisoft's next Assassin's Creed. I get that. Um, mm-hmm. It all makes sense to me. I'm going to pay $70 for this book. Um, now, I'm saying it kind of sarcastically. I've never minded paying a shit ton of money for the D&D books. In principle, people put a lot of time into this. When it comes to how much time I get with them, 
um i it's a lot of time right like i you, yeah. you pay 60 bucks and i've played thousands of hours of dungeons and dragons so that part isn't difficult for me what is difficult for me is them doing this the same year that they're like hey you remember all that stuff you didn't like we did it um mm -hmm. it just seems like a bad idea to do it right now they're just trying everything they can to push people away from this and i just yeah. I don't i don't get it i don't get why they want to do this I well I mean we're in a recession first off so that's probably part of it is like the prices for everything are increasing in the U.S. and I know throughout a lot of different countries they're increasing so if you look at it in the broader context of the current economy it makes sense like video games recently increased their prices by a shit ton food is more everything is more expensive right now because we are in an inflation recession not a great time economically right, right now so it makes sense in that greater context 100%. but yeah the timing just kind of sucks with all their bad pr like they probably a hundred percent know like or at least some people on the team got to know like oh this is not good timing but production wise we kind of have to if we want to maintain the um the profits that we have been making from a business standpoint. And I, I've also seen takes online from creators, from writers, from people who have worked on source books before saying that even like $69.95 is cheap from the amount of labor that goes into these books and how like underpaid a lot of the people are who work on them are because of how cheap the books are. So it. Well, it is a lot of money, but like people are saying, like it could be more and it probably should be more, but it isn't. See, though, that would make sense if that labor and price increase were equivalent. Now, yeah. yes, it is cheap when it comes to like, oh, how many people they paid to work on this book? Totally. Except they are a massive conglomerate that is publicly yes. owned and operated. This increase yeah. isn't so they can pay their writers more. That's not what No, it 100% not, is not. <laughs> this is because it is a publicly traded company, and doing as good as last year is as bad as doing worse. Yeah. You need to continually mm -hmm. boost those projections, otherwise you're failing, which is dumb. It's a part of capitalism that is awful. It's a terrible idea. Um, but that is what happens with publicly traded companies. That's how stock prices go up. If the stock price doesn't go up, if it stays the same, you're a failure. So right now, D&D is failing because it's not going up. So they need to up the prices because more people aren't buying the books. That's that's not that's the other way that you can increase. Um, but they're not going to do that. They know that, so they're upping the price. And they're not going to pay mm -hmm. people more because that would not increase the stock price. So, sure, while $60 is cheap compared to like what they're paying for all of it, the benefit isn't going to any of the things. I honestly, I'd be okay paying $120 for the book and I would buy it if the writers were seeing all of that money. If we knew that it was going directly to the artists, to the writers, the to the editors, exactly. to the designers. But we, you're, yeah, we don't. We're pretty sure that it's not. <laughs> or at least definitely not to the freelancers. I don't know about the people who are like permanently employed, but there's been conversations happening for a while about freelancer benefits for wizards You're right. versus full time see that employees. 30 cent increase, and that definitely justifies the 80 <laughs> And I apologize for making it sound like that it didn't. Um, that 1% increase, that, you know, that's a livable wage uh, if you that's live. It's totally in, a livable wage. Yep. Um, in, uh, you know, an underwater cave in Hyrule. Um, mm. but, but in a lot of the countries that you do live in, it's not, and, uh, they're not going to see this increase. So fuck them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like I'm, I'm mad about it. I don't care if it's, if it's reasonable, fuck you. You know, what's reasonable 
if you weren't making all this money off this awesome game that all the people that do the actual work on don't see so but that's capitalism i can't be mad at capitalism because i have to exist in it so uh, i mean we can be mad about it we just can't be mad 100 percent of the time or we'll go insane <laughs> that's that's fair that's fair i feel like that's my price to pay is being a white dude uh like i can oh I can, yes i can suffer a little bit i feel like that's only, mm. only fair uh mm -hmm. speaking of their missteps they got some really juicy quotes this comes from ign travis northrup over there um uh during a visit to woods of the coast headquarters a panel of representatives reflected on the ogl controversy from earlier this year describing the ordeal as quote-unquote painful uh, <laughs> the leak proposed changes to dungeons and dragons gaming license known as the ogl would have reversed the long-standing rules and uh, it caused community uproar so they were asked about it during all of these um, and moving to the 5e, to, like, to the Creative Commons. And they said, as you can imagine, I had an interesting January, began Kyle Brink, who's the executive producer for D&D. I'm glad we ended where we are, but I wish we would have gotten here in a less painful way. No shit. Um, mm, no Stewart, kidding. Right? <laughs> uh, Vice President of Marketing for the Tabletop Game explained, the OGL changes were a mistake, and we got a massive amount of negative feedback. That's a really, that's a really uh, apt way to say that. According to Stewart, it was that negative feedback that caused the company to walk away from it entirely. Um, yeah, so basically, like, hey, it hurt them a little bit. Um, they also said, we've heard loud and clear from the partners that they need to support after the anger around the OGL. Um, if we did some damage to trust. Uh, so, like, even their partners are like, hey, you kind of fucked us on it, too, because we can't sell D&D products, which is the thing that we talked about at the beginning of this, is this OGL isn't just going to punish wizards. Because if it was, mm -hmm. no one, like, honestly, who cares, right? Because fuck wizards. But there's a million other people that are involved uh, with the OGL, not just wizards. Um, mm -hmm. And they're still hurting from it. I still don't buy a lot of products that are brand in d and I don't want to hurt those other companies. I just don't want to play D&D in that same way or support it in that same way anymore. So, and I'm, you know, that's anecdotal, but I'm far from the only one, as we've seen online. Um, so Brink also said, uh, that Wizards of the Coast day-to-day -day interactions with partners in the landscape for D&D content creation has not changed at all, and that while the concern is understandable, the team is determined to prove their actions that nothing has changed and they don't intend to. Um, so, you know, our actions kind of preserve the OGL, and they're doing their best to kind of smooth the waters, as they're saying, um, uh, but they keep saying their actions are going to prove this, but they're not doing anything to prove it i mean sure they're taking in some of our advice for the next version of the game but all of the million other issues that were exacerbated by that have not been addressed at all uh, and i know there's only so much they can do they're part of a very large you know corporate family that aren't going to let them fix it but that's that's kind of the the death knell for me is they can't fix the things that needed to be fixed it's not their fault but they still can't fix them so i'm still not interested where are you at after hearing some of these quotes guys I'll let Lisa take this one because I feel like I've been talking for a second. <laughs> I, their actions, yes, speak louder than words, but um, their actions have not been, how, how would you put it delicately, uh, good <laughs> recently. <laughs> they have not been very good recently. And um, the fact that they're also, Saying, you know, just look at what we'll do, how we'll fix this, instead of just apologize. Well, I mean, also apologizing, but instead of just saying, oh, you know, this is 
But also, like, have they told us how they're going to fix it? Because I feel like at any point, like, when they say that, okay, our actions will fix this, they haven't told us how because there was that whole content creator uh, fiasco summit thing that they refused to answer. Well, not refused to answer. They were unable to answer most questions to do with how they were going to fix this. And they still have not told us how they're going to fix this. And yes, I it has been a rough road for them. Yes, I understand it is a big company. Yes, they are being held accountable for the mistakes that they are being they are making. But they have not been forthcoming with anything so far. And and they are not doing anything. Yes, I understand big company takes a long time to do anything. You know, if they were a smaller company, they might be doing things. But, like, they, they also haven't said how they're going to fix it. They, 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 like, have no, they have no idea what's going on. No. So it's just, it keeps being disappointing over and over again, even though they haven't done another fiasco yet. But it just, it just the old ones keep going on because they are unable to fix them. I, I mean, I would argue they're unable to several fiascos since then, including yeah, they, you know, they... raising the price in the wake of us going, hey, we're mad at you, and they're like, but what if you paid more? Yeah, they, they, they just keep concentrating on other things that I feel like they, they still have baggage that they've left unattended, and, like, the whole airport's freaking out about the baggage, and they're just going to be like, oh, no, yeah, we'll just book another flight and leave <laughs> the airport, and, like, Leave the baggage there. Like, no, you can't leave that there. And as we say here in America, if you see something, say something. Uh, when you're at the airport, and we're just we're just pointing out that you know, Wizards of the Coast could be terrorists. Uh, it just seems like they just keep <laughs> they just keep fucking up. They just keep doing these things. And uh, like I said, like they even when they when they mention something, like you said, Lissa, when they when they they're starting to fix something. Three more problems pop up, and they don't talk about it at all. They're like, no, see, we fixed the OGL thing. And we're like, yeah, that just pointed out how bad this whole ship is. is yeah. You're, you're still sinking. Um, and instead of bailing water for them, like, higher-ups and, and all of their plans are like, yeah, but what if we poured more water in it? Have you thought of that? Maybe it'll, <laughs> have you tried injecting bleach into your body? Maybe that'll cure it. Um, have we tried that? And so they just keep doing that. Like, I feel bad for some like I feel bad for Kyle Brink to a certain extent because he's trying to do you know whatever he's trying to do and meanwhile they're like yeah but let's raise prices too you know <laughs> like you're never gonna come out of this with a win even like it's like <laughs> as soon as as soon as that like oh, what was it I forget how long ago it was now because time is a weird soup and doesn't mean anything there was that um there was that call with the board that was public and yes. like I. Finally, they realized the the people who are, you know, funneling money into Wizards of the Coast realized, oh, D&D is our most prof like profitable thing. We need to really hearken in on that. As soon as, like, that clicked is when all of this shit started happening. 100%. So, and also, I mean, the D&D movie kind of came out recently, and they were, I think, more focused on trying to make that work and maybe the company as a whole was letting like try i don't know maybe just like trying to fly too close to the sun and not realizing how bad that would work out just thinking about the investors 
and how well has that worked out for you well, really there's not well really, <laughs> terrible there's this really bad um just like again this is somewhat anecdotal but this is also from like business studies there's this really bad philosophy where like you have this golden goose right and instead of supporting the golden goose to make sure they can keep producing gold eggs forever what you mm-hmm. do is you then tie up the golden goose and you squeeze them and get as many yeah. golden eggs out of it until it dies really quickly because that's how you get a share price up <laughs> you know? yeah and, like, well you see that here. we've seen this before with other things too the other example that comes to mind this is video games so this isn't a hundred percent like uh transferable but it Uh reminds me of what ea is doing with bioware bioware was a huge like it published mass effect the dragon age series knights of the old republic um the original Baldur's gate games it was like a huge golden jade empire yes it it was their golden goose when they acquired it and then they published a few good games under when ea got bioware but then as soon as mass effect 3 was done um yeah things didn't go well they rushed dragon age 2 that didn't perform as well because they rushed it um inquisition they forced them to use the frostbite engine and they wanted bioware to make anthem which was not bioware's hey, choice hey, from what i understand they made anthem, like, they made anthem. it wasn't like good. that game did not come out it was it came out game. but they made a first person rpg company make a multiplayer online game that wasn't any of their existing properties like that was do you mean first party oh first party yes yeah 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 that's what i meant yeah 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 but like 100 like they just they they drove it into the ground and like they drove them into the ground it hurts us and we complain like they care but they don't because they got the money from it that's all that matters there because it's again it's not longevity longevity isn't the key if they were a private company longevity is so important but they're not they're a public owned company which means getting as much money for your investors in the short term if you're not berkshire hathaway you know you need to be tesla you need to shoot up because that is how you make money for the investors um that stock price can peak it doesn't matter if it stays at that for a long time no one gives a fuck about that it needs to go up so when i sell it i make my money and i can say that okay i'm out or i can give more money back in they don't care about it because no one who cares about the company actually has that kind of stake that's just not how publicly Mm -hmm. traded companies work and sadly that's what it's going to continue to be forever because wizards of the coast is owned by hasbro and it doesn't matter if it's its golden goose it's not going to treat it right it's going to treat it in the way that'll make it money and if it stops making money they don't have to fix it they need to get rid of it and that's what they'll do yeah and uh that brings us to our next section our bardic inspiration where we talk about all the stuff that tabletop games have inspired away from the table and the first story here is uh also from travis northrup over at ign that same visit to wizards Wizards of the coast reacts to dungeons and dragons movies commercial shortcomings uh they say just happy it was good um which we were all excited about i particularly enjoyed the movie i know that we talked about it a lot we had some issues uh lissa in particular had some issues with the movie (laughs) um but um, it it has critical success uh for the most part but that's not a lot of people going to see it so kyle brink laughed and said i'm just happy it was good um he's the executive producer on the D &D team like we mentioned but he then compared the Dungeons and Dragons 2000 movie, um, adding with a smile, the trajectory for D&D movies is going up tremendously, and we're happy with the fan reaction and the critical reaction. Um, 
like, sure, yeah, this is a much better movie. Um, but it had a $150 million budget, and it grossed only $200 million worldwide at the theaters, mm. which That's is so low, if you don't know. Most movies need to at least double their budget double. to be considered mm-hmm. not a flop, which sounds like crazy, right? Uh, you know, making money is making money, but the way that studios look at it is they could have put mm-hmm. that $150 million to something that's going to make a billion dollars. Um, yeah. And it didn't. So, like, they're like, oh, maybe we don't make more D&D movies. It's kind well, of Well, also, I'm, I mean, it's not, it doesn't also necessarily mean we're not getting a sequel, though, because I know some people who waited until it came onto streaming services to see it. So well, I'm wondering if streaming numbers after, like, paying on Amazon or streaming however you want to stream, I'm wondering if that will factor into their decision as well, because I know a couple of people who just didn't want to see it in theaters and we're like waiting for it to come on demand 100 and so that and they think it's going to have a long tail um D specifically does like the wizards of the coast over there and that is that is a good sign um of a movie getting a sequel right is if it does have a long tail and it could it could be a cult classic um and just make a shit ton of money at home whether it's you know streaming licensing deals or people renting on on you know videos on demand it totally could have that However, mm-hmm. the box office budget is the first big outlier. That's the first big decision maker. So if it didn't do well at a worldwide box office, which it had, you know, it went to China, it went to a bunch mm-hmm. of other really big markets and still didn't do well. That doesn't mean that we won't get a sequel. It totally could do well at home. However, if it does well in movie theaters, it's guaranteed to do well at home. And, uh, so far, we don't have that guarantee. So that's where the worry comes mm-hmm. in. That doesn't mean it won't. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people. I, I know at least 10 D&D players who don't go to movies. Just period. Full stop. <laughs> I just full stop. They, they, they don't like theaters. They don't like the crowd, especially after the pandemic. That's just a thing. Anecdotally, at our Fair. table, Sade, like uh, yep. John. John like, loves Yeah, D&D that's one of the people I was of thinking of. <laughs> and I was like, do you want to go? He's like, I will never step foot in a movie theater ever again. And I, and I was like, that's fair. And I've met, like I said, several other people that same way. Not necessarily just because of the pandemic, but also they're just like, I just don't need to. I don't need to see the big theater. Like, I've not ever been a big fan. They're excited yeah. about the D&D movie. They were going to wait till it gets streaming, so we'll check it out. So it mm-hmm. could have that awesome long tail. It's just not guaranteed. And something as niche as this big fantasy movie um, might not get the love it needs. It's on Paramount Plus right now. Paramount Plus is kind of having its moment because it's combining with mm-hmm. Showtime. However, the combination with Showtime is coming with a price hike. And right now, you still have to pay for an add-on. So if you want to watch Yellow Jackets on Showtime, you have to pay Paramount Plus and pay for the add-on to Showtime, which is fine. It's really not that big of a price hike. However, it's just a hurdle to do that. Yeah. So Paramount Plus, while having a moment, is also having a little bit of, of a sinking ship thing going on right now. Well, all, I mean, aren't all all streaming services right now are listen, <laughs> making listen, really bad? I'm trying to watch HBO Max this week, and it switched to Max, and I had to, to Max. New app. Yeah, um, it automatically signs you mm-hmm. in, but it's still like, what the fuck is happening? You know, I try. Also, to my they mom in her 60s, she's like, fuck this. Yeah, also, they got rid of um, credits. They just put everybody underneath uh, creator and not director or writer or producer. It's it's really great. They might get sued over it. I am. They're definitely going to get I, sued over it, especially during contract negotiations with the. Especially with the during guild. the strikes. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. And now, and now the, the, the Screen Actors Guild has also announced that their the strike's approved. So Yeah, their strike was approved a couple of days ago. Yeah, so, and it's, it hasn't, it's not official yet. They haven't moved they have, to, yeah, but they, they moved have the, the strike, backing. But, like, but the, the vote was positive so mm-hmm. um so yeah we could get into that all day but like exactly right like if they're not exactly 
in a perfect uh, position. However, the one good thing when it comes to this, if you have a writer's strike, if you have um, these issues with streaming and new content being a problem, that means they're going to prioritize advertising older content. So we might see Dungeons & Dragons getting a second marketing push um, even after its big release of, like, here's this commercial for the DVD that you can go buy. You might see even more of that because normally that marketing would go towards new projects that aren't happening right now. Um, mm -hmm. You saw this way back in, like, the 2008 writer's strike because um, they couldn't make good content for a long time. What they were doing was just, like, let's advertise the shit out of reruns because um, normally mm -hmm. you don't see commercials for reruns. But they were like, hey – Let's do this. If you don't know what reruns are because you're not, you know, 40, reruns is when they would play an episode again on television that you couldn't watch on demand. Um, so <laughs> you don't normally need to advertise that. But so we might see Dungeons & Dragons being their last big thing that they put out. Um, mm -hmm. They're like, hey, because the new movies they're putting out are going to be, you know, uh, Transformers, kind of end of list. Uh, mm -hmm. for Paramount. I guess also Mission Impossible, if that makes it through. I'm not sure where that lands for, for writers stuff, but uh, no idea. Yeah. It, it might have that awesome tale. I'm excited for it. I dug it. I want a sequel. Um, when it comes to me spending money on Dungeons & Dragons things, that's about the end of the list right now, so um, if they want to keep seeing money from people like me, put out another D&D &D movie. But we'll see. <laughs> you want Terry specifically. <laughs> exactly. And I'm definitely going to spend my Audible credit on the next D&D &D book, so... You know, there you go. Nice. Um, oh, yeah. Moving on to our last story of the week. Critical Role are playing a Zelda Tears of the Kingdom RPG one-shot. Um, what's the date on this? Did we miss this? Uh, it came out kind of in between episodes. Um, this yeah, I don't... It says next week, and this was published on the 22nd, so it should be at the end of the month, the week of the 29th. I'm okay. assuming it should air Thursday... 7 p.m. Pacific time on May 30th. No, Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday the 30th. So if you're listening to this, you got one day probably for listening to the public feed. If you're on our Patreon feed, you got a few days left. Um, but it's going to be Mercer. Um, uh, who else? Liam O'Brien, Marisha Ray, um, Robbie Damon, Omar Najam, and Emily Axford of D20. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a big deal for D20 fans because people have been asking to see Emily Axford's chaos. Well, also, Emily Axford is now guesting on Critical Role as a guest star on their main show. Oh, that's so cool. That's so exciting. I, Twitter blew up. I was on Twitter when it was happening, and then I saw Emily Axford's name trending, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting, and I clicked on it, and everybody's like, Emily Axford's on Critical Role! Nobody panic! But, has yeah, that already aired? Great. Has that already happened? Yeah, yeah, that happened last Thursday. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was about when I heard about this story too. So that makes sense. The, what, I like... think they announced it on the day she gotcha. uh, guest starred, and then she's like, "Oh, you want more Emily Axford? We got more Emily Axford. She'll also be in our Tears of the Kingdom one shot." I think it was the vibe they were going for. That's really exciting. If you don't know, they've done a few of these tie-ins before. Like this isn't completely new on Critical no. Role's part. Like they did the Elden Ring one shot before the game even came out. Um, mm -hmm. and so like this is really exciting, but for the Nintendo side of it, just to get into the video gaminess of it all, really, really weird. Nintendo, anyways, <laughs> yeah, are really precious with their properties. You don't like, yeah. It's why like if like, they got a Mario cereal, like there was like fifteen heads on that. You know what I mean? Like there was mm -hmm. like twenty people talking over. It. So the fact that they're just like here, go play a Legend of Zelda thing. Um, is crazy, especially because, you know, Tears of the Kingdom is one of the best-selling Nintendo games of all time right now. 
Yeah. Uh, the only reason I can, the only connection is Matt Mercer voices Ganondorf. 100%. In the new game. That's what I was like, going to That's say, the like, only, yeah, connection. I When I saw that, I was just like, holy shit, Nintendo and Critical World, like, that's a huge deal. And then, like, how did that happen? I'm like, oh, right, Matt Mercer is Ganondorf. So, like, they might have that kind of connection. It's been in the works for a while. But even still, like you were saying, Nintendo doesn't do stuff like this very often. So, this is kind of unheard of. Yeah. Like, it's. It's exciting. I, I'm interested to see what it is. I'm interested to see how they play it. Um, and yeah. the expert at their table, I gotta check out that episode that you guessed on already, but, like, I, I need to see her chaos uh, gremlin-ness at their table. I'm excited for that part. Mm-hmm. But also, just, like, that game is so wild. Like, I talked about it, like, at the earlier in the show, but I've been messaging with all my friends. Like, everybody is playing that game differently. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, like, mine's all whimsy. I just want to fly. And I know people that are playing it, like, uh, um, like they got Fortunate Son playing in the background. They got a helicopter. They're dropping napalm on the goblins. And then there's some people who are like, "Oh, I don't build at all. I just use my sword and my shield because I'm playing a fantasy RPG and I don't need to play Minecraft in it." Uh, so, like, what are they gonna do for this one shot? I'm excited to see. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in how, like, <laughs> everybody's an artificer. <laughs> Oops, all artificers, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Lissa, I know you love Critical Role and Legend of Zelda, <laughs> so are you excited about this? I've watched one episode of one and played none of the games of the other, so yes, I'm the biggest fan <laughs> of both. Perfect. I have so much to input into this conversation. <laughs> Just you wait. Just I wait. Well, you don't have to wait very much longer. Like I said, it's coming out um, on um, Tuesday. So look forward to that. Check that out. That's it for the Cave Trolls. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, head on over to campingcreations.com. You can check out all of our other content over there. If you liked it a bunch, you can head on over to patreon.com slash campingkillcreations and back us over there. You get early content, bonus content, things like Slapping the Trolls After Dark. You can be a part of our book club. You get episodes like this early. You get Sharday's lore rewrites. Lots of cool stuff happening over there, so go check that out. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so. Campingkillcreations at gmail.com uh, or click the little contact us up contact us button over on our website uh you can find me at resident stevel or you can find the show at cave trolls pod um i'm also t.s luther on all the different comic book stores so if you want to check out my writing you can look up t.s luther my book growing up is finally out in print comic book i had somebody go oh you wrote a novel because i didn't say comic book at one point just comic books i don't mess with novels too many words i can't do all that stuff i don't know where the paragraphs separate it's just complicated <laughs> um <laughs> if there's no speech bubbles i don't know how to do dialogue it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> valid af man uh, uh speaking of what is valid Charday, where can the people find you online <gasps> oh my god thank you you think i'm valid that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me other right. than that i have charisma listen you listen, know it's uh, like there's second. a lot of feedback on the way that <laughs> Nothing wrong with acknowledging and changing. People can change. Dogs cannot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, uh, the people can find me as the best host of the Slovenly Trolls podcast, where we talk about all the problematic stuff in D&D lore and history and contextualize it and tell you possibly how to make things better at your own table. And I also run the Slovenly Trolls Twitter at Slovenly Trolls and occasionally post on the TikTok, she says, after not posting for a whole week on the TikTok. (laughs) 
I've never heard that about the algorithm. I think you can kind of like take a big break and then. then yeah, I think the algorithm, like with Twitter, you have to post like every day. But I think with TikTok, it's it loosey goosey is not generally as pu- uh, punished, which is nice. Oh no, I was being completely sarcastic. That algorithm, you need to feed that thing like ten times a day. Oh no, thank you. I'm not doing that. Thanks. I'll post once a week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought we were on the same page. Yeah, no, we're fine. No, I don't know how the TikTok algorithm works. I just know it feeds me things I like. Yeah, they gotta put like seven videos up at least. And uh, anyways, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's why like you'll see the same creator post like a video like ten different times in a day. You're like, well, why? Oh, like, that's how you, that's how you get noticed, man. Gotcha. Um, the algorithm no, is you. a fickle beast, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, where can the people find you online? I do not exist online. I do not exist in real life. I am a figment of your imagination. Uh, all of this time, I am not real. But the Slovenly Trolls are on Instagram <laughs> at Slovenly Trolls, and the Cave Trolls Pod <laughs> is on Twitter at Cave Trolls Pod. <laughs> Love to see it. Oh, um, I did get asked, what's the email for the Slovenly Trolls? I know that you would plug that on your show, but I, I mm-hmm. but it was mentioned on here that we don't mention the email for that. So, well, yeah, we uh, slovenlytrolls at gmail dot com. You can also find it on our landing page on the Cave Trolls, or uh, no, on the Can't Be Killed Creations website. Um, if you find our landing page on that site, which I think is just can'tbekilledcreations dot com forward slash slovenlytrolls, we also have a like easy contact form there as well. Well, there you go. Um, I, I, I giggled at it, but I'm like, that's a fair question. Like, listen, I'm not going to stop somebody from trying to find you, you know? Like, <laughs> We're a secret. You can't find us anywhere except in the places we just told you. That, that came from Good Pods, which we've been popping off over there. So thank you. Oh, for, hell yeah. For over there. I hit like, uh, what was it? Cape Hills Pod hit like 27th on there in the top 100. Woo! And then uh, YouTube did something like that similar too in the games and hobby section. So we're doing well. Hell yeah. Thank you for the Good Pods love. I don't know why we're popping off over there, but thank you, I guess. We love to see it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I need to download that app. Like I, don't, like, I don't use it. I use Podcast Addict is usually what I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Good Pods is building it because we're mutuals on Twitter. So I okay. think they are more of like a – they want to make like indie podcasts easier to find so they're not like lost in the hullabaloo of all of like the really super like backed by big companies uber produced like stuff which is super nice plus it's just nice like even if we did do really well we don't have to be on the same list as someone like joe rogan you know like that's oh god yeah please no thanks i just brought it all down because i mentioned joe rogan that's my bad Um. yeah we're gonna end on a high note I met somebody. I met what? somebody who. I met somebody who genuinely listens to him, <gasps> and I was just no. like, "Yeah, he he said he listens to the good things and like what? sources, and like all the bad things he like looks at and like files that away as like, oh no, that's not important, but like listens to a good thing." And I was just like. Are you sure you're not just being fed propaganda and mm-hmm. you're dumbing down yourself? But, um, you know, who am I to judge? Yeah. What does good and bad things mean, too? That's so, <laughs> that's so day, vague. You kind of, you could kind of separate it if you were a little bit more ignorant about it. Like, I used to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. I was like, oh, a lot of comedians on there. I didn't know too much about it. But then it went really hard yeah. to, like, a lot of right-wing people being on there. 
And yeah. Like, because everyone on the show is dumb. Like, it's just, like no one's fact-checking anybody. No one cares. It's just a bunch no. of stone. They're like, well, you're just – this is really dangerous in the way that's going about it. So I can kind of understand they're saying, like, oh, maybe there's good things. But, like, at this point, can you really say that there are? Like, I don't think so. But Yeah, maybe, like, five years ago. Sure, but um sure. Um, but even then, a lot of it is, like, when you, when you put out four episodes per week, it's hard to – because you don't listen to all of them. It's hard to see, like, all of the things that were bad about it. But now, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you take a Google, you can see, like, well, this show's pretty fucked up. But is that okay? <laughs> is that not for us to fix? That's fine. Go do what you got to do. Uh, we're not going to. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our show. We've been the Cave Trolls, and we're sorry. And we're out. Once again, we have that special time where we get to thank our Patreon producers. Right now, we have Kim Winson, Jeremy Raymond, the Lorax, and Trellbot. Thank you so much for helping us keep the lights on, the mics rolling. You keep chicken sandwiches in our pockets, and you keep us having fun on the mic. Thank you so much. 